Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Well, true to form, I met today's guest at the Foles of Honor charity event in Tulsa this past Memorial Day. We were paired together and rode in the same golf cart for over four hours, long enough to gain great respect for him. Over our time together, I was drawn to him through his stories about his life, his time in Vietnam, his openness and reverence when speaking about it all, his triumphs, and in turn, his devout compassion for his fallen brothers. How proud he was to have served our country. A husband, a father, a veteran. I'm excited about getting to know him even better with you right now. Please welcome Sergeant Johnny Messamore. What's up, Johnny? Steve, I'm getting to talk to you, brother. Oh, man. Well, look, I had the best time. Uh, we had our boy Brad Penny with us, and uh, it was just a whole lot of fun. And obviously, uh, a day of reverence. Uh, just amazing uh, it's my second time to do it, and uh, just, uh, man, what what an amazing event, and just uh, getting to know you that day was just uh, special, it was special for me, so thanks for taking a Mississippi Minute. I know you're an Oklahoma boy, uh, and uh, <laughs> we're going to have fun. <laughs> born and raised. I love it. All right, so let's dig in a little bit. So you talk about being born and raised where in Oklahoma? I am from Claremore, Oklahoma. Uh, we are in the northeast corner, and actually my hometown is the home of Will Rogers. Wow. And he and his wife, and I believe one of their children that died young, are all buried right on the hill right here in my town. Did, did, did well, Now, were you, uh, you were born there? Your folks uh, lived there as, uh, for a long time? Did they move there? I was born in one county over in Pryor, Oklahoma. Uh, we moved to an 80-acre farm in Rogers County uh, outside of Clamore whenever I was three months old. And mm-hmm. other than my time in service and a uh, little bit of work thing, I've always been right here. Wow. Coming home. I know what that feels like. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good thing. Hey, Johnny, so growing up as a kid, what were you into? Oh, I played uh, baseball, uh, ran the streets just like other other kids did. Uh, Like I said, I got to grow up country boy uh, my younger years, and so I know cows, hogs, horses, and then uh, my daddy sold out, and we moved to town and bought a filling station, so I've become a town dog. (laughs) So I got the best of both worlds. 
You know, it's something about a lot of my guests grew up on farms. Uh, it's, it's an, and I guess back in the day, uh, people uh, were providing for themselves and others, you know, and they had property and land and, uh, and that, that was hard work, right? You get up in the morning, like my father-in-law, I mean, I've loved talking to him about his, his mornings. Uh, just, it never gets older. I put him on repeat because uh, just amazing uh, how hard he'd work in the morning before school and the miles he'd walk to go there and come back and do more chores. Was it like that for you? We had a little 80 acre uh, track across the section line from a 680 acre ranch. The guy that owned the ranch was Joe Bashore. He come down and told my daddy one time, uh, he was a missionary, said, I'm getting ready to go to Africa for 10 years, and I want somebody to just move up on the ranch and take care of the barns and the fences and everything. Wow. I'll lease you that ranch for a dollar a year. What? So <laughs> so I grew up in the middle of a 680-acre uh, ranch, and like I said, we had mama cows, we had sows. I think we had about seven, eight horses at the time. My mama had chickens. Milked about six or seven cows, uh, hmm. you know, so I got the whole whole package. Did y'all sort of live so, off the land back then? Was that sort of the thing? Daddy actually worked for Douglas Aircraft, uh, but my I had a brother that was two and a half years older than I, and whenever he was like 12 and I was like 10, we were taking care of about 100 mama cows and uh, sows uh, feeding daily and milking cows. But it was just a good country boy life, really, you know. So, do you think that I, I wouldn't take anything for it now? No, I know, I know. I just being with you that in that short period, uh, just uh, getting to know you. I know you, you have like it's amazing uh, when it came to your growing up, uh, how appreciative you are of it. You were of it, and still are. We're talking to Sergeant Johnny Messamore, Johnny. Your responsibilities of growing up, you and your brother, and and obviously war looming and and the draft with Vietnam, you think that it prepared you better than most to go serve? My uh, my time my time running around on 680 acres, some of it open land, a lot of it was wooded. I think the country boy prepared me for the life that I was going to live for a year in Vietnam because, uh, and you said we'll get into it a little later, uh, we were a mechanized infantry outfit and we put everything we owned on we called them tracks they were armor personnel carriers but we put everything we owned on those tracks and we just lived out in the nomad for 60 90 days at a time mm -hmm. and so having grown up in you know somewhat of a similar environment uh yeah it helped me greatly it's crazy because i knew the land i knew you know uh, I knew where to step, where not to step, what to look for, and all of this. So, yeah. So, you, you use the word uh, and the term nomad. Can you can you uh, expand on that? Where we were at that night, that was home. I mean, uh, the battalion would send us out on recon missions, and uh, we might stay in one location three or four days. Uh, we would uh, circle up the wagons to speak, you know. Uh, we'd be tracked, foxhole tracked, foxhole all the way around the circular perimeter. And then, you know, they said move. We packed it up. We'd move to whatever the next location was. Uh, they would maybe once a day bring out a hot meal, fly it out. Uh, otherwise, you ate sea rations. Wow. Unbelievable. Okay, so the the 
the mood of your era as a teenage boy and knowing that there was a pretty good possibility you'd get drafted and your friends as well uh i mean what was that like it was always hanging over your head uh actually one of my good friends from high school his mom run the draft board i always knew exactly where i stood with the draft i got a call one day and she said uh you may want to go join something because you're getting ready to get drafted so uh, I was married and had a baby boy at this point. So I go down to the Air Force recruiter, and I fill out the paperwork, and he looks at it, and he said, man, I'd love to have you, but I can't take you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you've got one too many dependents. Mm. At that time, they were filling all of their quotas with singles or married with no children. So... I could either join the Army, I could join the Marines, or I could get drafted. Uh, join the Army, it's for three years. Join the Marines, it's for three years. Drafted, it's for two. So I said, hey, it's all going to end up the same place. Let's just go with the two-year route. So I got drafted in February of 1969. Ted of 68 was the time that we lost more guys than any uh, during the whole time. And February of 1969 was the only month in the history of the draft that they took two drafts in one month. And I was drafted in the middle of February of 1969. 18, 19 years uh, old? I had turned 20 in December and got okay. drafted in February. Wow. My oldest son turned five months old two days after I left for basic training. I uh, come home from basic AIT. He was 10 months old. I come home from Vietnam, and he was 22 months old. And I tell everybody, my goal the first day I got in country was to live long enough to see my last day in country because I needed to come home and raise a boy. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, so, you what, what, okay, take me through basic training. you got to go there first, right? Is it but with six weeks, eight weeks, and then they ship you off? It's eight weeks. I went to Fort Polk, Louisiana. And uh, I had lived in kind of the hill country of northeastern Oklahoma my whole life. And I get down there, there's nothing but rain and pine trees. And I learned to hate Louisiana real fast. <laughs> Wait a minute. we got to talk about the food. Tell me. Well, maybe you weren't privy to it. <laughs> you didn't have access oh. to the food that I know in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Now, I've been back to Louisiana since. And yeah, I love the seafood and the Cajun food yeah. and all of that down there. But no, we didn't get a chance. You know, we were just, we didn't even get a lead. You know? yeah. So my my wife, you know, after about four weeks, well, they could come down and, you know, we could maybe have one night or two off, off base. Uh, but that's about it. So wow. it was it was a bad time. Yeah, we're talking to Sergeant Johnny Messamore. Always good to keep Mississippi beautiful. That's what studio we are dwelling in right now. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute.
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, all right, all right, Steve Azar. I am with my man, my golf partner, Sergeant Johnny Messamore. Uh, We had a great time riding together at the Foles of Honor event. It was a great event, Major Dan Rooney. What a what what a deal he puts on, and the money he raises uh, for scholarships for for uh, fallen soldiers, kids, and families, or or injured coming home. It's an amazing event, isn't it? It is. I'm about as excited to talk to you and share your life as with anybody I've ever interviewed. So I've, I've been really looking forward to this. So uh, you're a humble, wonderful man, but the truth is you got something very special to, to, to tell us about. So I, w- I want to jump in right now, and, and I apologize that, that we beat you guys. I, I, I really do apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> no. Hey, I'm- I love and, it. You know, I had to. I had to carry my team. Man. You, you sure know, did. I got to be the A. <laughs> if I got to be the A guy, well, we're in trouble. So. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's get back to it. Okay, you you go off, and then you're in Louisiana, and uh, can you can you conjure up the feeling you had when you were told it was time to go? And where did you go? I knew from the day I got drafted where I was going to go. Uh, like I said, I spent basic at Fort Polk, Louisiana. That was eight weeks. I moved from North Fort to South Fort and had AIT at Fort Polk, Louisiana. I went through Tigerland, which was the simulation of uh, Vietnam jungles. And uh, I knew two weeks home and I was going straight to Vietnam. There was never a doubt in my mind. Mm. Uh, when you're 20 years old... Uh, you just kind of adapt, I guess. You know, I never was really uh, scared of the prospect, what might lay ahead of me. You know, and I just never did think along those lines. I'm just, like I said, I'm going to, you know, hey, I'm going to find somebody that's been here a while, and I'm going to watch them, and I'm going to learn how to stay alive. Yeah. You got a five-month-old baby. You got an 18-year-old wife, right? About? Yep. And 17-year-old wife. 17-year-old wife. And you're thinking, I got to get back home to them. Uh, yeah. that's just, yeah. first of all, heroic right there, just to be able to have the uh, guts. I, I know that it was, it was, you were, you were prepared for this I, as much as you could be prepared, right? Your life growing right. up there. I got right. that. I got that. And you're being extremely noble, but knowing now what we know versus what you knew then, uh, you know a lot more now than you you did then. I mean, we all do. We have all well. Well, let's just say this. Like you said, we've read what we you know in history books and studied it in school, and we've only studied what they want us to see. Um, you go over there. Uh, are you on the front line? There actually is no front line. You never knew who the enemy was. We, uh, you know, they speak of the uh, war on terror right now. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, we were the ones that fought guerrilla warfare for the first time uh like i said you never knew who the enemy was because the south vietnamese were the Viet Cong were sympathetic to the north so the same people that are uh selling stuff out on the road during the day and saying hey gi you number one uh that could be the same people you're fighting if you get hit that night mm. so 
you did you learn not to trust him i was i just wrote down the word trust i was gonna go how far did you go with that never yeah wow. never and it came in forms yeah. of kids too right you, you, Absolutely. you brought that up you said Absolutely. you didn't you couldn't trust kids you couldn't trust anybody except for yeah. your platoon you know i've read up a little bit uh as i've gotten older and uh i realized that they would go to into schools and get these 14, 15, 16-year-old kids and force them into armies. And uh, they had no choice, no more than I did. And so uh, what I brought back as a kind of a hatred has kind of waned over time as I've learned that some of these kids that I were fighting didn't want to do it anymore, and we did. So Right, right. The, the, that's war. It's just... Uh it's unbelievable. Okay, so what we what we know, what I know, right? What society yep. knows versus what it was really like. Can you can you give me some oh. details of of how it really was? I got in country uh, in the middle of July of 1969, and I went straight out to the company, uh, which, like I said, we were living the. Uh, nomad lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You just had to learn to adapt on the run, basically. Uh, and like I said, I started watching people that had a little rank and uh, had been there a while. And we would get, you know, uh, sniper fire or a little bit of skirmish uh, every, pretty much, uh, you know, ever once a week, twice a week, whatever. But my first major firefight was on August the 21st. Uh, we were, when we would sit up at night, it's called a logger. So if I say logger, that way your audience will know what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, we were loggered uh, out around the base of a mountain that was very prominent in uh, my whole time there. The mountain was called Nuebaden, which is translated Black Virgin Mountain. Mm-hmm. We got hit uh, somewhere between midnight and 2 o'clock. And we fought until 7 o'clock next morning when it got daylight. Uh, my lieutenant, the, the tracks had a 50 caliber machine gun up in the middle of it. Uh, my lieutenant was in the TC hatch. That's the area uh, that's around this 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, an RPG, armor-piercing round, hit my track, and they burned through metal, steel, and then when they hit open air, they explode. It blew my lieutenant's leg off right above the knee. Yeah. Uh, the radio operator yelled, six is hit. You didn't call anybody by name. Uh, officers were called six. Uh, he yelled, six is hit. Uh, it, it's hot right in front of us. I mean, there's so much coming right straight at my position. But I heard him yell, six is hit. I need help. And so I jumped out of the foxhole, which is just to the right of the track. Somehow, uh, Six probably weighed about 280. He was from Louisiana. He was a Cajun. And somehow, but the RTO radio operator, somehow he and I, under immense fire, got him out of the track and over to the medics. And I stayed over there. They gave me a handful of morphine tubes, which I had a, it's just a little bitty tube that had a needle on the end of it. And you just pulled the tip plastic off the end of it and you just popped them and then squeezed and it administered the morphine so mm. i stayed and uh, popped him they put a tourniquet on him and i stayed and popped him with uh morphine 
for about probably 30 minutes along with another friend that had two fingers blew off and some shrapnel in his chest. I popped both of them until the medics could get to them. And then when they finally got to them, I went back and got back in my foxhole and we fought until uh, daylight. And then at daylight, we went out and counted bodies. And I remember the number 77. And these, like I said, I'm looking at 14, 15, 16-year-old kids that had died out there that night. Mm. And then we come back in and had breakfast. Welcome to Vietnam. Wow. And what you're feeling of the first time you've been around death and and that catastrophic, you know, right? I mean, what was it like? You know, at at that point in my life, you know, you think you're kind of bulletproof, uh, you know, uh, but you, it starts a process of what if, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what if that been, what if me, what if I got hit? What if I got killed? What's after this? And that's, that actually started me on uh, a journey that God was drawing me to him. And uh, mm-hmm. that ended when I was 23 years old and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So uh, I will never regret my Vietnam experience because in my testimony now, I say out of the worst time of my life came the best thing of my life. Which is in most cases when it's time to step up and believe. We're with Sergeant Johnny Messamore. Johnny, we're going to continue to talk about your time at Vietnam and then your time after uh, adapting to life after seeing so much tough stuff. You know, for a kid, you were still a kid to me. I know you're. I know you're a man, right? But but right. you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, you get to play right. DJ right now. I know. I know you're talking Roy Rogers. We know Toby. We know Garth. <laughs> we know Trisha. We know all these great artists that grew up in Oklahoma. But Mississippi is the birthplace of American music. So you get to play Absolutely. DJ. I love that. I love it. you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear a little Jimmy Buffett or Elvis Presley? Oh, give me a little Elvis. I had a feeling. I had a feeling we were Sergeant Johnny Messmore. He's a beautiful man. We're gonna be right back. We're keeping Mississippi beautiful right here. On in a Mississippi minute, I'm Steve Azar. In Mississippi. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943. Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank, with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We're rolling together, you and me, right here from Mississippi beautiful studio. I'm with my man, my new pal. Just really respect and and get to know, and we're going to be pals for 
the rest of our days, Sergeant Johnny Messamore. Johnny, thank you for joining me again. I know that I'm probably keeping you from your retirement and the golf course right now. Uh, <laughs> how often do you get to play golf a week? Oh, probably not over three times a week. You know, so sounds horrible. <laughs> that's about a that's about all a seventy year old body can handle at this point. So. Well, that 70-year-old body can can move the ball pretty dang good, man. I was impressed. Let's get back to it. So your toughest times over there, was it your first? You're talking 77 casualties. That's basically right out the box for you. And you're having to deal with this as a 20-year-old. How, or 21-year-old, however old you are at this point, you're still extremely young, and you're trying to survive, and there's enemies all around you're just sort of in the middle of it all i mean you know was that your toughest day or night that was just one of them like i said this mountain called nui baden we had a radio relay station on top of it that choppers would fly in and out of we had everything around the middle and then the the nba or vc had everything in the middle and the movement was they would go out of North Korea over into Laos, through Laos down into Cambodia, Mm -hmm. and this mountain round on the backside was triple canopy jungle all the way from the mountain to the Cambodian border. So they would come in through this triple canopy, and there was uh, trails in and out of this mountain. I mean, there was caves. There was rumor they had a hospital in there. So battalion would station us out here around this mountain somewhere, to track enemy movement and pretty much at times just use us as bait to try to draw them out. Mm. And so that particular night was the worst time we got hit around the mountain. But we were always in some kind of a skirmish in and around this mountain. We were, uh, it was flatland, rice paddies on about three sides. I was in far south, South Vietnam. There was I core up north. That's one, two in the middle, three core down low. I was in three core the whole time I was there. Saigon, Tainan, Gucci, down in this area. And uh, but it was triple canopy jungle around on the back. Well, we would uh, work in and through that triple canopy jungle. I've actually took a machete and cut a trail as mm. I went. We would get down off of these tracks and go rifting. It's called. And, uh, you know, we'd rift through this triple canopy and, a lot, you know, you there might be a, a hint of a trail, but you would still have to cut uh, your way through and looking for things that would tip us as to when the enemy had been there, uh, how large it was, and all of this. So uh, we would send out ambushes at night when we would logger. We'd go out on anywhere from four to six-man ambushes, and click is a 1,000 meters. And so, you know, you might go five clicks out and then two clicks over, and you had to be precise so the company knew exactly where you were in case something happened. uh, They would know to protect your location. But – and – we would we would usually set up close to a road so we could track movement. I laid out on ambush one night. There was, I think, five of us. 
and a whole NBA, NBA, uh, not NBA, NBA regiment rolled by. Uh, they had artillery gun on ox guard, uh, uh, you know, and here we are, there's five of us, and we're within probably 50 yards of them. And uh, our our goal wasn't to engage, but to observe, and but to lay out there and watch that large an enemy element roll by, knowing that if they ever knew you were there, you were dead. Yeah, uh, that it's a little it's a little rough at times. You use the word bait. Yeah. So you guys were bait. Yeah, they we we were used at times to draw the enemy out. My gosh, unbelievable! <laughs> we don't do. We don't have. We don't. Uh, compared to now, oh, obviously we know so much now, and there's technology, uh, obviously involved way more than it was with you guys. Uh, compared, like with war now, because I don't know what I haven't served. I, you know, I. I mean, I wasn't in the draft. I had friends that did. I had my big brother in my fraternity was the toughest guy I ever met in my entire life. Ends up going and being in charge of dismantling landmines. He was basically the hurt locker guy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's yeah. that guy. And I remember him calling me. You know, it was in all the middle of the night. That's when we we could talk. And he was scared. I never heard him scared before. And uh, and and that was Kuwait. So we're talking early 90s. Um, so compared to what you guys went through, compared to what they went through, compared to where we are now, nothing nothing compared, right? No. Uh, different times, different tactics, uh, different equipment. Uh, like I said, you know, the radar and uh, everything that uh, they have to work with now, the heat-seeking stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we had maps, and uh, they would track location on maps and this kind of stuff. You're talking paper but, maps, you know, right? You didn't have any yeah, technology. Paper. So that made noise. No, when no, you opened no, up no, a paper no. map, yeah. you know how much noise that makes, how big it is? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, but, you know, you had compasses, and, uh, you know, but mostly you lived with a weapon 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, your main goal was to keep your your weapon clean and uh, a good supply of ammunition wherever you were or whatever you were doing. And uh, I I spent my first six months uh, just a member of a squad, which the members of the squads, as I said, would get down off the tracks and go out on ambush and go rifting. And uh, by the – I turned 21 in December – uh, and right in the middle of my tour, and not long after that, I made sergeant. And when I made sergeant, they sent me from the second platoon over to the fourth platoon, and I I become track commander and uh, squad leader and fifty gunner. So at that point, I sat on top of the track behind a fifty caliber machine gun. You still were in harm's uh, way there. You talked. You now you're number six, right? Yeah, well, uh, you're the man that the RPG is going to be shooting at. Yeah, so. exactly. Plus, if a track hit a mine, uh, I was sitting over an open hole, and below that hole was 2,000 rounds of 50 caliber machine gun ammunition. And if uh, anybody got hurt, it was usually the track 
and the 50, I mean, the driver and the 50 gunner because we were the only ones that had body parts exposed down in the track. So, you know, you trade, you had a trade off. You didn't have to go out on ambushes anymore, but you were living, uh, with the threat of hitting a mine. And I, we would, when we would move, we would move in a formation called tracking. In other words, the first track would lay down a set of tracks and then everybody would run identical to that. And the whole idea was, is, you know, to not fear from one side or the other because you didn't know where they were might have planted these mines. They would dig holes and plant these mines, and they were pressure detonated. And depending on how deep they buried them was the amount of pressure it took to get down to them. Mm. You know, I've had... I had the track in front of me hit a mine, and then I had the track, two tracks behind me hit a mine. And so you just never knew because it took just the right amount of pressure to trigger that right. thing. Oh, yeah, we're rolling in a Mississippi Minute from the Keep Mississippi beautiful studio. I'm Steve Azar. All the way back in 1989, my wife and I newly married, and I was working on making my mark on the music business. We wanted to build a house. There was only one bank that helped us do that. And while we were trying to find our way around, our friends at Guarantee Bank started on the journey with us and have been there ever since. They were always my connection back home when we lived in Music City. They believed in me. So when you need a financial institution to believe in you, give my family at Guarantee Bank a chance. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products, only expected at much larger institutions. They are proud to be your local big-time bank. Please visit one of their 17 locations and tell them Steve Azar sent you. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. The news doesn't sleep, and neither do we. Fox News Radio, late breaking, up to the minute, from around the world, around the clock, here on Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Coming to you straight I'm from the Keep Mississippi beautiful it, studio. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Nobody Minute on Super Talk. Sergeant Johnny Messamore is time in Vietnam. All right, so when you're laying in the weeds, uh, what about like uh, poisonous snakes? You ever, you have any, is that even a thought? There were snakes around, but we didn't, uh, not that much. Mosquitoes was the biggest problem we had. I mean, they were, they were bigger than flies. <laughs> 
<laughs> there were times that we would work with uh, Arvins, which was the South Vietnamese regular army. Right. And uh, I, uh, I was walking inside perimeter one night. There was a full moon. And when we loggered, the ramps of these tracks at the back would let down hydraulically. And so everybody, you know, whenever you were stopped for the night and everything was set up, you just dropped the tailgate. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, it's a full moon this night, and I'm walking around, and I, I thought, why is that guy sleeping on the ramp? And so I got a little closer. And I could see, and I said, hey, you guys in track number so-and-so, you might want to get up. You're getting ready to have company. Mm -hmm. There was a snake crawling up the tailgate of that track that the sucker was bigger around than my leg. And he probably eight eight foot long. uh, I don't know, anaconda or... Yeah, dragon. Python. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) So, I mean, those guys cleared out of that track yeah. so fast, you know. A full well, moon. Said, you, we were work- Go ahead. I'm sorry. We were, work- we were working with Arvin. They were over there, and they had that snake killed and cut up in little pieces and fried <laughs> so fast. <laughs> oh, wow, man. That's, I, that's adapting, and that's, you know, using your elements uh, in, in, oh. in every which way. All right, wait a minute. Uh, you talk about a full moon. I'm sitting here thinking... Well, light would be great, but I don't know if I want a full moon. I don't know if I want to be seen. So was that uh, was a full moon a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. If, uh, if we hit a night that it was so dark that you could put your hand up in front of your face and you couldn't see it, there was probably a good chance you were going to get hit. Right. I don't know why they liked the dark so much, but, but they did. And that's when we got hit the most. Uh, there were few daytime ambushes, but they were few and far between. We got hit on January the 9th. Uh, we had got a call. C Company had got hit. I was in B Company, 4th and 23rd, 25th Infantry Division. Mm-hmm. So they, we got a call to go assist C Company. We ran right into an ambush, and we uh, we were taking fire pretty, pretty heavy. And one of our tracks, uh, stalled. We had a driver of the, a track or two back pulled his track right in front of the track that was stalled to uh, let them see if they could get it going and back that track back out there. Well, they did, but his track then got hit with an RPG, which enabled, disabled it. So he got out and uh, he got the driver out got his tc to safety and he asked sergeant do you want me to go back and get on the 50 and he said i'm not i'm not telling you to but if if you want to yeah we could probably use the fire so he went back voluntarily and Mm. manned the 50 he ended up getting killed that day and uh for the actions he did he was awarded a medal of honor oh yeah and so uh, I served with a Medal of Honor recipient, uh, Silver Star recipients, and myself and many others have Bronze Stars. And I've told my kids the whole time I've gr- they were growing up, uh, the word heroes used really, really loosely at times. I said a hero is somebody that did that day what they had to do to keep themselves or someone close to them alive. Right. And I used, Dan- I used Danny Peterson, who was awarded the Medal of Honor, as a, uh, an example. I said, Danny Peterson didn't wake up on January the 9th, 1970, and say, I think I'll go be a hero today. 
Uh, I said in 1970, when I come back from Vietnam, they dropped me out at the airport with a ticket in my hand for Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm walking through the airport, and I'm thinking, you know, man, I'm, I made it. I'm back. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing all this hatred yeah. that's flowing at me. You have to understand, I was trained to kill. Right. And they don't deprogram you when you come home. And I wanted to hurt people. I, I wanted to be trouble real bad, but mm-hmm. I knew I needed to just get home. To your wife and your so, kids. I uh, I bit my tongue and yeah. I kept my cool and I got home. I told my kids whenever I come home, I was called baby killer and everything else. And now people want to call me a hero, and I don't really feel like I ever deserve either one. Well, you do deserve that. The bottom line is you were doing what you were protect. You were doing protecting us. You were protecting the, our future. Uh, obviously, we, that with that war, the way it sounds, we didn't go about it quite the right way. Um, we were sort of half, what, one foot in, one foot out. You didn't know who was who you could trust or not. And, uh, man, I'm just grateful I've gotten to know you, and my audience is getting to know you right now and, and has during a Mississippi Minute. Uh, God bless you, brother. You're the best, man. We've been with Sergeant Johnny Messamore and celebrated what a life, what a veteran, what a father, what a husband. That's what a Mississippi Minute is all about. Appreciate you, Johnny. Thank you, sir. It's been a heck of a show. Thank you, guys. Let's keep Mississippi beautiful. You've been rolling with me in a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.